0: Confidence is a very, very powerful weapon, really. You know, we think of guys like Muhammad Ali or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, you know those guys believed that they won even before they competed. They were so confident and apparently it was their confidence that gave them the edge. It is said that they could defeat more capable opponents simply because their confidence was so intimidating and What greater example of confidence do we have than in the man who's going to make America great again, the president, Donald Trump? Now, I'm not saying that all they had was confidence. Muhammad Ali was a tremendous athlete. Arnie was intensely disciplined, and well, Donald Trump is a brilliant businessman and They all worked astonishingly hard for their success, but it was their confidence, their certainty of final victory that set them apart as overcomers. And Christians must be known for their confidence. We must be sure of our salvation, certain that we have overcome the world. Like Muhammad Ali, we must enter every fight knowing that we will conquer our rival. Like Arnie, We must enter every contest assured of victory. And like Donald Trump, well, maybe Christians shouldn't do anything like Donald Trump. Maybe just forget about that one. But as Christians, we must know that we have eternal life. And Jesus said that we inherit eternal life by being born again. So in our passage today, the apostle gives us ways by which we may know that we are born of God. And he is saying nothing new here, as we said. He is just saying again that if we want to know whether or not you are a child of God, firstly, look at what you believe. Look at what you believe. Because God's children believe that Jesus is the Christ. He writes in verse 1 that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. This is the first test. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? But what does it mean to believe that Jesus is the Christ? The word Christ here is the Greek word that means anointed. It is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah. So the doctrinal test, the test of right belief, is to believe and to continue to believe that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, God's anointed. Now for the Jews, priests, prophets, and kings were anointed. So we need to believe that Jesus is our high priest who made the sacrifice on behalf of us for our sins. We must believe that he is our king who eternally rules over us at the right hand of God the Father. And we must believe that He is our prophet who intercedes directly with the Father on our behalf. And if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, then you can be assured that you are born of God. I'll tell you that belief is such a precious assurance. Sometimes I look at my life and I see no reason to be assured of my salvation. But then I think, Do I believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do I actually believe what the Bible says about Him? And no matter how unsure I might be because of my lack of love or lingering sin in my life, I can look to what I believe and be assured of my eternal destiny. But Scripture tells us, of course, that even the demons believe and tremble. So right belief is not the only test. To simply believe in your head is not what assures us of eternal life. Belief must be based in a love for God, and a love for God must be manifested in a love for God's children. You see, God's children love their father and their brothers and sisters. That's the second point. He writes... um, In the the latter part of verse 1 and going into the beginning of verse 2, the apostle tells us, Whoever loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And uh, starting verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. You see, the apostle is focusing on the concept of the new birth, being born of God. And to be reborn is to be born into the family of God. It means that God is now your father and that you are of his beloved children. And because he loved you, you love him. And because you love him, you love those whom he loves. We sometimes put so much emphasis on loving the enemy, we sometimes put so much emphasis on loving the stranger. But the apostle here highlights our love for those loved by God as a sign of new birth. Because our love for God manifests itself in love for each other. That's what chapter 4 was all about. So loving God and loving God's children is something that Christians do. Because love for God and love for God's people are evidences that you are born of God, that you have been born again. But what is love? Well, we can mention endless examples of how we love each other, but really it boils down to this. Do you care? Do you care? You you see, loving each other can be as simple as praying for each other. It is to be concerned for the welfare of someone in the church. It is to share a burden. If the people you worship with are on your mind, then that is evidence that you have love for each other. You would not have this impulse to care if you did not love. But what if someone in the congregation hurt or wronged you? What if gross sin wrecked a relationship within the church? What if you just cannot bring yourself to love a particular brother or sister? Do I still love God if I hate or resent or just don't get along with a brother or sister? Well, that is really the point, isn't it? Sinful behavior like not loving each other, unforgiveness or unrepentance and so forth. It it robs us of our assurance robs us of our joy because breaking His commandments, disobedience, cultivates doubt. But keeping His commandments, remaining obedient, that cultivates assurance. And to not love each other is to break the second great commandment, isn't it? To love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, God's children must love each other if they are to be assured of eternal life. And they may know that they love each other if they love and keep his commandments. The latter part of verse 2. And how do we know that we love God? Well, look at verse 3. For this is the love of God. In other words, this is how our love for God is revealed that we keep his commandments. And then he says, the commandments are not burdensome. So God's children obey his commandments out of love for God. See, the apostle gives us tangible evidence by which we may know that we are born of God. It's not some mystic thing. We may know. The way that you may know that you love God's people is by keeping God's commandments out of love for God. That's the third way by which we may know that we are born of God, if we keep His commandments. And His commandments, he says, is not burdensome. See, the same Lord Jesus who said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Same Lord Jesus who commanded us to be perfect as His Father in heaven is perfect and who said that we are to love one another as He loved us also said that His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Now that does seem like a contradiction, doesn't it? Be perfect, love as he loved. Elsewhere he would say, pick up your cross daily and follow me. He would say to a rich man, sell everything you have and then come and follow me. In his Sermon on the Mount, you'll find it in Matthew 5, Jesus made the commandments impossible to keep. And then he said that the law is still to be kept perfectly. So how can he say that his burden is light? And how can John say that the commandments are not burdensome? Maybe the law has been abolished by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Well, no, because Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law. Ah, and then in that same verse, we find our answer. Why is his yoke easy and his burden light? Why is the commandments not burdensome to keep? Because Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to keep it. And what does John tell us in chapter 4, verse 17? As he is, so also are we in this world. Jesus is perfect as his Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus does love God with all his heart and all his strength and all his mind. Jesus did not abolish the law, but he kept it. And here's the gospel. He kept it on our behalf. Kept it for our sake. Because He carried the curse, our cross is light. Because He obeyed, our yoke is easy. Because He suffered and died for our sins, our burden is light. And because we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, the commandments are not burdensome. And this is because the law is not the means by which we earn eternal life. We may know that we have eternal life because the law has been kept on our behalf. So the law is no longer a burden. It is a blessing because it reminds us that we are saved not by our own righteousness, but by the righteousness of another. We look at the law and we are reminded that we have broken it. That we cannot keep it. And that if we are to be judged by God's law, we stand condemned. And if we simply had the law, the law would be a burden. But the burden has been lifted from us and carried by another. The yoke of perfection has been carried by another. Someone else was perfect because perfection was too heavy a burden for us Carry for me and for you to carry. But if we're then free from this, why bother to obey the commandments at all? Why should we bother? Why? Should we carry on? Why should my life be characterized by obedience rather than disobedience? Why should I keep as in strife to keep the commandments? Why should I love the sinner sitting next to me in church? Why should I serve and care and pray for him or her? Why should I carry your burden? And why should you carry mine? Why should I share in your suffering and your grief and your struggle? And why should you share in mine? Because, beloved, Jesus said that this is what the people who love him does or do. If you love him, this is what you do. We love each other and strive to keep his commandments. Live a life of desired, sure, not perfect obedience, but desired obedience. And such a life of desired obedience assures us of our eternal life, our eternal destiny. It assures us of our salvation. You see, disobedience robs us of our assurance. If we constantly give in to sinful behavior, we begin to doubt our salvation. The more we sin, the more we doubt. And even though our eternal security is not affected by sinful behavior, our confidence in that security is. And we lose our joy. We lose our peace. We lose the rest that Jesus promises to all who come to him. The law becomes a burden again because of our burdened conscience, because we look at our disobedience and doubt. Our love for God. And because we start doubting our love for God, we start doubting His love for us. But the commandments are not burdensome for those who are born of God. Why? Verse 4 For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. God's children overcome the world. The Greek word here for overcome and victory is the Greek word nikao. And it is a familiar term because um, of the brand name Nike. Okay? And I can use, I could say the Greek word because I have a word to, to associate it with. So nikao, Nike. Got that? Very good. Okay, Nike was the Greek goddess of victory and the Nike brand took their name from, from that. Now, I remember watching the Springboks play rugby as a young man. Yes, I watched rugby. And I was sure that if only I could have some Nike rugby boots, then I would be invincible. So for my 16th birthday, my mother got me the exact same rugby boots as the the Springbok hooker at the time, James Dalton. Do you remember him? He was way better than Sheen Fitzpatrick. I'll just say that. Uh, (laughs) Was it Sean Fitzpatrick? I do. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Okay. Um, so, and, and and when I when I got the shoebox, on the shoebox was the word victory, victory, and I was sure that it was going to be a great season. I could see myself lifting the cup at the end of the season. I, I think I, I think I even started writing a few victory speeches. Um, <laughs> But, of course, we only won two games that season. And um, James Dalton started wearing Adidas. Uh, So Nike gave me false assurance of victory. Um, But godly obedience, it's not like that. It's not a false assurance. In a life characterized by godly obedience, we see the proof that we have overcome the world. When we overcome, we are assured that we are overcomers. Why? Because we would not be able to overcome unless we have been born of God. Because sin has lost its grip on me, I have overcome sin. I have overcome the evil one because Satan flees from me when I resist him. Jesus said that in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. He said that if they persecuted me, then the world will persecute you also. But neither suffering, nor persecution, nor death can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because Jesus said that I have overcome the world. And that's why Paul says that in all these things we are more than conquerors. The Greek word he uses there is the word huper nikao. In other words, we are hyper, super overcomers. We are conquerors to the max, as John MacArthur would say. So those born of God overcomes the world. We overcome Satan. We overcome sin. We overcome suffering and trials and persecution. And we overcome death because we are children of God. And the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. Carrying on in verse 4. The means by which you are born again is through faith. So God's children conquers by faith victory does not come through our obedience alone but our faith in the obedience of christ you see victory is not to triumph over our sin victory is to believe that christ triumphed over sin and death overcoming sin does not give us victory but overcoming sin in christ that's victory. A moral and ethical life is not victory, but a moral and ethical life flowing from faith in Christ Jesus is. James tells us that faith is nothing without works, but Paul tells us that works is nothing without faith also. Obedience flows from faith, but it is possible to maintain a Christian morality without faith. And that's not victory. That's not overcoming. Who is it that overcomes the world, verse 5? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Overcoming the world is to gain victory over the God of this world, it is to gain victory over the desires of this world that lead to death, it is to gain victory over the deceptions in the world. It is to overcome the world by living in the assurance of eternal life. And who can overcome in this way but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We do not overcome the world by keeping His commandments. We keep His commandments because we have overcome the world. And in keeping them, we show that we love Him. And because we love Him, we love each other. And we love each other because He first loved us. And we know that He loved us because we saw His love in that He gave His Son to be our priest, prophet, and king. And if we believe this, then we can be sure that He is abiding with us. And all in whom He abides in have been born of the Spirit, and thus born of God. You see, these tests which the Apostle has been teaching us throughout this letter they're all interconnected. You pass the one because you pass the other, so to speak. And one cannot be passed on its own. Why? Because right belief, love for each other, and a life characterized by obedience are the marks of a Christian. They are the birthmark, so to speak, of those born of God. And they are all present in the life of a Christian. And they are all present because they all flow from each other. And they are the ways by which we may know that we have eternal life. Now you may be be wondering why it is important that we know this. Why must we be assured of eternal life? Well, because in assurance we find peace. And such peace sustains you through the fiercest drought and storm. With such peace, you can say, it is well with my soul, come what may. With the assurance of eternal life, you can say, death, where is your sting? And grave, where is your victory? And in light of the certainty of eternal life, what in the world can overcome you? Can suffering, sickness, sin, temptation, death, Can any of these things beat you? If your life falls apart because of tragedy, if life's pressures pushes you to the point of collapse, if darkness deepens, as Henry Light says, if all other helpers fail, if all other comforts flee, what comfort to be assured that through it all, he abides with me. In light of eternity, life is simply, as we sang, a little day. And it is the assurance of our salvation that we are born of God, that assurance that carries us through the trials and tribulations of this life. Why? Because we can look past this life and see our eternal life with our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. 아멘